Welcome to Real Parenting Stories, the podcast where we dive into the wild world of parenthood. I'm your host, Laurence, and in each episode, we'll hear from real parents sharing their experiences and advice on navigating parenting. So sit back, relax, and join us as we dive into the wonderful and sometimes messy world of parenting together. And welcome back on the Real Parenting Story podcast. So today, I have the pleasure to talk about a crucial topic with our guest, Lilia. She is a divorce doula. And whether or not you're asking yourself, should I go and get a divorce? What are going to be the consequences? Should I, should I not do it? Lilia is here to provide, you know, guidance in navigating the landscape of divorce. Uh, and that's specifically important topic today because we estimate the divorce rate in the US and in Europe at about 50%. So it's still pretty present. I actually saw that uh, this number increase in terms of numbers of time you get divorced. So when is the first time it's 50, the second time it's 60, so the third time is 70%. So maybe there's something we need to uncover here. And yes, so today Lilia is going to offer amazing insights in managing the challenges and transformation within relationship, which happens a lot. So we're very, very happy to have you, Lilia, today. How are you? I'm doing really well. How are you? Wonderful, wonderful. So right off the bat, can you explain what a divorce doula is and what is your role? How do you navigate people through going through divorce? Great question. First of all, thank you for having me on, and I'm excited to be here and and share uh, some best practices, uh, my experience, my my client's experience. Uh, the word doula means support, and people have birth doulas, so that's someone that basically uh, is with you even before you give birth. So, like you're pregnant and you think you want to have a doula at your birth, someone to support you during the birthing process. Uh, they are with you before you give birth, while you're giving birth, and there's even postpartum support. The same thing can be true for people going through the death process. They, they call them death doulas, right? Um, I know when I got married, I had a wedding planner. When people have memorials, like my father had a, a memorial, and we had someone officiating the services and organizing everyone, the food, the this, the that. And, you know, frankly, I started this because out of need, out of my own need. I didn't have one, but I sure could have used one. And uh, that's how it came about. Can you explain, uh, so how the divorce do I help individual navigating their divorce? Well, first of all, there's all different phases of the process. So sometimes people will reach out to me and they're they're literally questioning, should I stay or should I go? Which is probably the number one question that people ask themselves when contemplating leaving a marriage, especially if there's a, it's a long-term marriage with involving children and and property and, you know, things to divide up. It's a lot to take on and you're weighing the pros and cons. Should I stay? Should I go? Can I make this work? Yeah. My role begins where their journey begins or what yeah. their needs are. Again, some people are questioning whether or not to, to leave the marriage. Some people are have made the decision, but they haven't yet served the, the, the spouse. They haven't filed for the divorce. And then the, the divorce is served. You know, the papers are served. Then there's people that have just served and they're trying to navigate 
you know, moving out, uh, how to deal with the children and custody, um, fears in, of financial insecurity. There's so many aspects. So in terms of what my role is, it depends on where they're at in their process. And then what I what I come to the relationship with is, is four different tenants, which are coaching, support, movement, and mindfulness. So that's what I offer. That's that's my um, entry point. That those are my interventions. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that becoming a divorce doula came out of necessity. Can you tell us a bit more about what motivated you or inspired you to become a divorce doula? How did you even hear about that? I, I, you know, to, funny enough, I actually thought I made it up at the time, and I thought, oh, this is genius. Like I had never heard. Of divorce doula. I actually thought I put the word divorce and doula together. And, you know, of course I did not because nothing is original these days, but um, I actually had my own version of a divorce doula with someone that I had met um, back in 2019 or 20. So I filed in 2018, my divorce finalized in 2020. So for those two and a half ish years, um, I had someone like a divorce doula that I wasn't paying. It was a friend and they had been through two divorces and they were giving me support and they were giving me advice and they were helping me navigate my lawyer and, you know, uh, and my emotions and, you know, guiding me in the right direction. And, and, and that's where it really was conceived is out of need, like supply and demand. Like I created something that I wish I had had. So I'm really passionate about it. I am not a therapist yet, although I am in a master's program in clinical psychology and am looking forward to being a psychotherapist, you know, one day, but I'm not a therapist. I am certainly not a lawyer. I do not know law. Uh, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a family member. So I come in at this very neutral objective. And yet I have an agenda, which is to support my client through the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you have people coming to you and ask, should I stay? Should I go? So in your experience, what signs might suggest that it is time to consider a divorce? And how can individual you know, navigate this decision-making, which is, you know, life-changing the best way possible. Like anything else in life, no one can really tell you what to do or make that huge decision for you. Um, you know, it's like, should I take that job? Should I go out with that person? Should I have kids? Like no, it's your decision and it depends on a bunch of different factors I contemplated leaving my marriage for an entire year and talk myself out of it for an entire year. It was a question that kept coming up for me. And I just, I kept on moving with it. And then I hit a breaking point. And then I realized, and the question I came up with that I also ask a lot of people that I work with is, does the fear and the pain and the suffering of the known and the immediate situation, does it outweigh the fear and uncertainty of the unknown. In other words, does the known outweigh the unknown in terms of fear and pain and suffering? And my answer in my personal situation was, um, 
no, anything would have been better than what I was dealing with personally and emotionally. It was, it was, I thought that my thoughts and feelings could kill me. That's how bad it was. I thought that my thoughts and my feelings mm. could kill me, was killing me slowly, like a slow boil. And I think everyone comes to their own moment of truth where, you know, if you're on the fence, you either go to one side or the other. And that's what happened to me. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't guide people. Yes, you should leave. No, you should stay. I, there's no agenda there. It's helping them arrive at their own truth, their own realization. Right. So their true core, but you know, sometimes you can also tell yourself, okay, I'm going through this bump in the road with my spouse, with my significant other. And I don't know if what I want and what I need makes sense. So sometimes you can also be overwhelmed with, you know, the emotions that you're feeling because you're trying to work it out and, you know, you don't know if things are going to wrap up together. What is your experience with your customer related to that? Do you have positive uh, outcomes for some of your customer that really realize, no, you know what? I was just had a bump in the road. It'll teach me something. I just want to keep moving. Yeah, no, I mean, unfortunately, when you've finally gotten to this point where you're reaching out to someone like me or you're Googling things like divorce doula or you're listening to podcasts like this or you are asking yourself that question, you kind of know the truth, but you just haven't admitted it to yourself and you haven't acted on it. Um, you know, most of the times when people ask themselves these very serious questions, they know the answer. You know, they're just procrastinating or not willing to face reality, you know, trying to uh, turn a red flag green over and over again, whatever that might be. Uh, so I would say the, if not the, if not the majority, a large percentage of people that I just talk to, even on a phone call or an email is um, they've made up their decision and they're looking for someone to just guide them with what's next. And that's a blog that I've written um, on my website about Once the decision has been made, once the decision has been made, what's next? Like, it's just the beginning when you file, mm -hmm. then it's a whole process. And, and I really feel like many parents that contemplate, you know, going through divorce, they're scared, not only because of what the unknown, but also because the impact if there are children in the mix. So what advice would you offer to parents who are hesitant about you know, proceed with the divorce due to these concerns? It is, I mean, the answer to a question like that has got to be, it depends. And the reason, and that sounds like a little bit of a cop-out, but it can't be a blanket statement. There are some people that quite literally and frankly can't afford to get divorced. I mean, not just the fee of the process, but to separate households or, you know, I mean, everything gets doubled basically, right? You're, you're moving from one home to two homes. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, if you're dealing with lawyers, you're paying two lawyers, right? Or if it's a mediator, it's expensive. Getting, getting divorced is expensive, just like getting married is expensive, just like having kids is, is, is expensive. Um, so finances can be a consideration. If children are young, it becomes a lot harder to, you know, navigate, two separate homes and explaining to your children what's happened to mommy and daddy. And um, that's a very sensitive. So people can stay together for reasons like finances and the kids. And, um, and then others just 
that's not even enough to keep it together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the cost of splitting sometimes can be um, damaging. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so I don't know. Do you have clients that choose to, you know, we're going to stay together in the name of the law, but we're separating anyway? No. I mean, no. I, I think I've really not targeted, but I think I've, I've, I've reached an audience that are clear, they're clear in their mind that the, that the relationship is, um, is over, it's not workable and they're ready to go to take this process, but they need an extra support in the, in, you know, it takes a village, right? They say it takes a village to raise kids. It takes a village to, you know, build a business. It takes a village to dissolve a marriage and move and break up a, a it's a breakup of a family. And I was, you know, I just was on a call with a client before I hopped on this. And I mean, she's really going through it in terms of just sadness and, and, you know, sadness for her kids and sadness for just the feelings that come up. I mean, you're a mother and you're always going to be a mother, but you're a wife and then you're not a wife. Mm -hmm. you're, a home, you're a homeowner and then you're not a homeowner. You're a family and then you're a, a, a divided family, a separated family. Yeah. I mean, the idea, like, for example, that, that idea of the first holiday, I didn't have my kids. It was just, it felt like solitary confinement. I, I felt punished. I felt like uh, you, it was the first Christmas or New Year's or Thanksgiving that I didn't have my children and they're older. You know, they were, they were teenagers when, when we split And um, it's just a horrible feeling. It's like having a limb cut off, you know? It's a part of you that's now not with you. And parenting not parenting while not having your kids is a whole nother podcast. Yes, yes, maybe you can come back for that. But yeah. so um, focusing on the kids, because I think that, you know, two adults splitting, uh, it, it, obviously it's it's terrible and it hurts a lot, but... Um, I think the main fear is really about the kids, right? How yeah. are they going to sort it out? So what, realistically, what can uh, a parent expect in terms of, you know, emotional support or uh, emotional transition for those kids? And what what are the, the, the downfall of that, of the divorce? Great question. Um, I mean, you know, I, I'm a product of divorce. Uh, my... A, a lot of, like you said, it's 50% divorce rate. I don't think that's even changed over the decades. It's a high, you know, the, the, the ideal of a happily ever after one partner monogamy till death do us part. One thing that really helped me was we had a family counselor and when we finally made the decision and also we decided we needed to tell the children She said something really beautiful and really helpful, skillful. She said, sit, sit your children down and explain to them in a very sweet and amicable and collective united way that mommy and daddy love each other and they, and, and they love you very much. You are made of love. You are made of half mommy, half daddy. And they have decided that 
that they will be happier and therefore you will be happier if they live separately. And so they are deciding to um, get a divorce. And just to, to make it less of a bad thing. I mean, I don't think divorce has to be a bad thing, right? I mean, there is such a thing as permanent impermanence, right? Everything changes. Nothing stays the same. If it's born, it'll die. If it rises, it'll fall. If it begins, it will end. And why is divorce any different? Why is an 18-year marriage a failure? Why can't it just be it was an 18-year marriage and then it was time to you know, move on? Second act, different partners, whatever. Um, so I also am really curious about changing the language around divorce. Um, similar to the language and the and the uh, reputation of mental health. Why isn't depression and anxiety just as acceptable socially as, you know, heart condition and diabetes? Now, those are very good questions. Um, we actually have a, and I think there's a lot of to do with social expectation. And, and in French, we even have the term vieille fille, old maiden. It's terrible uh, because it, sends the message that if a woman doesn't have a partner, is not with someone, then she's just a whole lady, a, a whole maiden. And, ah, and I have really, an answer to that. You want to hear my answer to that? Sure. What is a queen without a king? Uh, oh, uh, what's a queen without? That's a very good question. Uh, how about how about more powerful? <laughs> I see. <laughs> I see, but you're you're right. I think those things also the uh, those roles are changing. Thank God. And at the end of the day, what's more damaging to children to see an unhappy marriage or couple or mommy and daddy always fighting or not being kind to one another and not enjoying each other's company and and sleeping in the same room or happy and separated and moving on and you know, enjoying life, embracing life on life's terms. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think divorce ever killed anyone, but being in a really unhappy, whether it be toxic or abusive or unfaithful or whatever it is, like that does feel like a slow burning death. It's like a dead end job that you're just stuck in or a place that you're living that you, that, that you don't want to live in anymore and you're just stuck. You mentioned uh, that you, so you're a divorce doula, and just like any other celebration in life, uh, there's a wonder, like, why why don't we have the same level of support as other major life events? Okay, wh why do you think that is? I think it's the connotation. I mean, you know, a wedding is celebratory. A birth of a baby is celebratory. Look, you get a baby at the other end. In a marriage, in a wedding, you get a, a, a license and a, and a marriage and a life together. And with a divorce, it just feels like this sentence towards death of a death of a marriage, death of a family, death of a dream. Um, it it it's not a nice word even the sound of it divorce is so divisive and and you know implies severing or separating or dividing um mm -hmm. you know the funny thing the funny thing my personal story is that i thought we were just unconsciously i thought we were consciously uncoupling and i was really proud of the fact that i thought we had just come to the end of our journey and we were going to amicably 
separate and be supportive of each other and co-parent and be friends and that we would eventually meet new partners and 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 we would all be like I had that fantasy and that just you know wasn't the case yes I I, I can understand that it's like to me it's like going back to a whole job and say hi how are you well I, most likely if you left your previous job that meant that something was wrong right so why right. You know, I I think if uh, there's people that can get along and be friendly, that's great. But in my opinion, that's it may be a very challenging to. It's I think it's rare and it requires two people that are very honest with each other and respectful mm. and transparent and communicative. And oh, God bless those couples that have that, because that's. That's just the best case scenario. It's cheaper. Mm -hmm. It's it's faster. <laughs> it's better for the kids. It it you know requires far less cleaning up of wreckage. In your in your opinion, what is the most challenging aspects of going through a divorce? Oh, there's so many challenging aspects, but I would say the hardest part is the alone time, the loneliness, the self doubt, the fear, the shame, the judgment. And it's really all, mostly self-imposed. It's like the self-inflicted punishment of someone going through a divorce as if it's a failure, as if you failed in your marriage or you failed your partner. And, and I really try in my, in my conversations and my coaching to encourage people to, to really amp up their self-care. This is not the time to, you know, wallow in self-pity and, isolate and blame yourself or or even blame your partner. I mean, I could write a survival guide to a divorce process. That's how that's how much I felt I was in survival mode. You know, no, a tiger wasn't chasing me and building wasn't on fire or, you know, crazy stuff that would really traumatize and shock someone's system. But there was definite visceral somatic experiences during the process that was something I had never felt before. Really brutal, like really brutal feelings, you know, nausea, anger, fear, jealousy, um, all of it. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of joy in a divorce process. There's not a lot of joy. There's not a lot of celebration. There's transformation and there's light at the other end. And there's certainly growth. And I do sadly think that that cliche, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, because I definitely feel like a completely different person than I was five years ago. How so? I was a victim. I felt like a victim. I acted like a victim. I behaved like a victim. I spoke like a victim. And, you know, the truth of the matter is when something is happening that you're not aware of, that you're not privy to, something unwanted, unsolicited, you are a victim, you know? You get hit by a car, you're a victim of a car accident, right? You get you get burglarized, you've been victimized. And a lot of things can happen in a marriage that feels like a victim victim mentality. But you can't stay in that. Then you become a volunteer for that role. Like once you're no longer a victim, if you're sticking around and then you're just volunteering for that insanity. Here's a few examples. I used to have really really high expectations and very low standards. So I would get disappointed regularly because my expectations weren't meeting my standards. 
And now I have no expectations and really high standards. And it's been a game changer. Like I don't expect, you know, I don't expect anyone to do anything right or fairly or correctly or kindly or, and then I'm pleasantly surprised and I have a low tolerance for mistreatment or for disrespect. And I, and I firmly believe that we teach people how to treat us by what we tolerate. There's a threshold to how much you can take and, uh, and have clear boundaries on those for sure. And it's so you- ba- it's boundaries, not walls. It's boundaries, not walls. Um, I don't think I grew up with boundaries. I think I, you know, grew up in a very loving, uh, open, liberal, communicative, transparent, lovely family and upbringing. But it's 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 not all the tools I needed to survive in this world and as an adult. You know. Mm-hmm. You need boundaries. Yes. You think that growing up, you were not taught boundaries? I, You know, I mean, it's no judgment on my parents or my upbringing or, you know, the where I lived or the culture I lived in. It's it's more just almost an innocence and a blind faith and a trust in people. I hadn't, you know, to do the right thing or to be honest or to be kind or to be fair. Like I had never bumped up against that in my trajectory of education or family life for some people a divorce process is like a it's a huge transactional event it's a business that you're it's almost like you have you had this business as two people and now you're dividing the business yes and yet, it, and yet it's not a business it's a family they're people they're not mm-hmm. people are not corporations but if it if you get into the weeds and you think about some of these high profile, for example, celebrities, right, that get divorced, and they're dealing with properties, and they're dealing with children, and they're dealing with, um, you know, huge bank accounts and assets and this and that. And it just, it's like we lose the humanity, we lose the interpersonal and the emotional and nobody gets married planning on getting divorced. It's not part of the marriage package, right? And so it's a surprise and it's an unwanted surprise. It's something you're not prepared for. And I mean, for me personally, I never thought it was going to happen to me. I didn't want to be that person. I didn't want to be divorced. Yeah. We want, we need to remove the shame and the blame and the guilt around, you know, something that's just not meant to be. Do you think that the concept of successful divorce (laughs) exists? Yes, I do. I think a successful divorce is when you can leave lawyers and judges and courts out of it. There is full transparency. There is accountability. There is owning your part, seeing your role and your part in the dissolution of the relationship. Look, it takes two to tango. It takes two to get married. It takes two to have a baby, right? It's going to take two to divorce, even if it's just seemingly one-sided. I can't imagine a scenario and it, it hasn't come up yet in any of my exposure. I can't imagine a scenario where one person is absolutely happy and fulfilled and, and completely blindsided by being served divorce papers when the other person is, is miserable and, you know, ready to jump out, jump out of their skin. I can't imagine there being such a disconnect because then what kind of a relationship was that if you didn't realize how unhappy your other, your partner was? I feel like even you should add an extra layer of, you know, divorce couple therapy 
if you're gonna do it well actually i didn't know you could do it without judge and lawyers that's like news to me yeah uh, mediation you do it in mediation yeah and then you just sign some paper and that's done sign some papers i mean you know i i have a friend um I have a friend who, when the wife said, I don't love you anymore, I want a divorce, they like high fived each high fived each other because, you know, that other person wasn't happy either, but wasn't going to pull the trigger, you know, wasn't going to. So it's like, you never know, right? It could have been, it can be this incredible mutual thing where both parties are really unhappy. And then as soon as the as soon as it's issued, it's like a celebration. Let's do this, right? You know, let's high five and <laughs> cheer it and celebrate it and let's make it quick and cheap and, and let's be fair. And, you know, I want, I want the mother of my children happy and I want the father to be happy and I want the kids to be happy. I mean, that is successful. That's the best case scenario. And it does exist because I've seen it. So it's totally possible. Now back to how you incorporate, you know, physical movement and in, in, into, you know, the daily life. So how do you think physical activity contributes to healing do, mm -hmm. during or after a divorce? Great question. I mean, you're talking to someone that has a background in dance. I was a dance major. And after college, I took to yoga. So I've been a yoga teacher since 1996. I've always been a very active person look, if nothing changes, nothing changes. There has to be a change happening in order for a change to happen. So if people are stuck, if they feel sedentary, if they're isolating, if they're you know, using outside, outside solutions for self-medicating to solve inside problems that require deep inner work, I mean, look, don't we all feel better after a walk or after being in nature on a hike or jumping in the ocean or putting on your favorite song and just dancing in the living room, like, you know, no one's watching and not caring what you look like. You move a muscle and you change your, your, the, your way of thinking. That's why people love to move and why they're so active because it works and it can be anything. It's not like I structure them to, you know, you must do 108 sit-ups and then five push-ups and then some jumping jacks and then take a walk for a mile. No, it's like, What brings you joy with your body? A bike ride, a run, a hike, a yoga class? That, that must be sometimes when you're very depressed, right? I'm talking like depression, depression. That may be very hard to take that first step, you know, towards, you know, physical movement for some, for some people. Yeah. So depression, clinical depression fits in another domain, which is not my... That's not where I come in. I would, if I'm working with someone and they're like, I'm so depressed, I can't get out of bed. I can't, I have no appetite. All I want to do is sleep. You know, my, my best support for them would be to find first a therapist and possibly a psychiatrist. And maybe mm -hmm. it's time for some outside help. Maybe there is a chemical imbalance. Maybe, maybe the divorce process has tr triggered some kind of chemical um, or hormonal I mean, it could be hormonal. Fun fact, a lot of women go through a divorce process when they are also battling menopause or after their kids have been fully raised, right? 15, 16, 17-year-olds, the child-rearing years are over. A lot of people get divorced at 18 years, which I find very interesting. Like 18 this... years? After 18 years, that's like the cutover date? Or up to 20. It's the up to 20 part, you know, of... And, and, and there's no coincidence that that falls into the category 
uh, you know, if they, I mean, this is a real leap and it's just my theory and a generalization, but you know, if you've been married 18 to 20 years and you have kids, chances are your kids are approaching being yes. adults. And then so they the, can handle that better. Perhaps. That's right. Because they're probably in their own little relationship and, uh, and busy with other stuff. And there's less of a need for a, per, a parental, for parental guidance. Guidance. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a whole other podcast, right? The idea of a stay at home mom that just is home with the kids, raising the kids, um, you know, handling everything with school and cooking and cleaning and grocery shopping and laundry and doctor's appointments and you name it. And then all of a sudden, there's no need for that role. And then add to that menopause and then add to that a death of a parent or another big life change like moving or, you know, losing a job or, you know, any kind. So I think I think a lot of times when it rains, it pours, you know, when someone is going through something like a divorce process, chances are there's two or three other things happening simultaneously that is just adding to the to the mix, you know, which is unfortunate. I mean, I know I was dealing with the death of my father, so he was not well for the whole year leading up to me filing. That must be very difficult. Uh, but to go back to what you talked about, a stay-at-home home, and then all of a sudden, where is my job? Um, I, I've heard also one of the, it's not a downside. I mean, literally anyone should do what they feel like doing in their life. But the reality is uh, some stay-at-home mom, because they don't work, they don't make their own money they don't they don't get their retirement funds and stuff like that for themselves so in case something goes wrong right worst case scenario divorce but perhaps also your spouse can die and then you have literally no career or no financial support to fall back on and i think that must be very very difficult to 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 live that way it's frightening not knowing what it's going to look like Mm -hmm. and not having all the facts or details you know, on the table, that's, that's very real. And, and, and that's a whole nother layer. It's like, when you talk about the layers, you're talking about emotional volatility and vulnerability. You're talking about financial insecurity. You're talking about loneliness. You're talking about lack of partnership, companionship, co-parenting, you know, and then there's all sorts of things waiting for you ahead, like dating, right? Dating after you're divorced, when you have no dating experience whatsoever, you don't even know how to do it because you've been with your partner for so long and you've been monogamous. So that's like a whole nother like field <laughs> of a good point. Yeah. Like I, I felt, I felt like I was thrown to the sharks. That's how I, I, mm-hmm. you know, I, it was really funny. I mean, I really felt like, oh my gosh, I'm in this other planet with other aliens and creatures and i don't even know if i want to be a part of it yeah no so for me i'm french we don't french people don't date it's either you meet someone you get into a relationship with them you skip the whole dating pool i honestly think so for me when i heard the concept of dating which is basically you can talk to so many people at the same time and go out until it's official to me it sounds like what what i live in la i live in la it's like an audition yeah. to go on a date. It's like an audition. And if you in it and if you get a call back, you get the second date. And if the second date goes well, you get a second call back for the third date. And then you you either eventually get the job and you can be their person that they're dating, or you know, you don't get the job and that's it. 
I mean, wow. it's weird. And then the dating profiles, I mean, oh, I mean, I'll tell you one funny story because the listeners might really love this. I had one, I had one guy that said he was five, five, seven or five, nine. And I show up and he's five, two. And I'm thinking, <laughs> did you think I wouldn't notice? Like, like if you're going to lie about something, don't lie about your height for God's oh, sake. But then his, yeah. his his response and justification was, well, when people see my height, they don't swipe or they don't click. Oh boy. I, I don't. I know. Uh, it's not fun. I mean, you really are no, uh, sitting in front of a stranger and you really oh, yeah. feel like they're. No, the whole process of dating is, is, is absolutely terrible. I think from a European oh. perspective, um, uh, the idea of knowing I'm interested in someone, this person has like 10, 20, I don't know, options. It makes me feel like what? I'm just another option. I, I just, anyway, it's awful. It's a, it's a difference in culture. It's um, another podcast, Laura. Yeah, there's so many podcasts I feel like we should be uh, doing. There's a lot of yeah. different topics. But thank you for opening our eyes to uh, stuff like that. Like, yeah. I don't remember that. I've been with my husband for nine years. And yeah. uh, no, this uh, that doesn't sound that fun. But uh, to go Sorry. back to how you help people transition, what type of support so we talked about movement but there's also mindfulness right that plays a significant role in your approach can you tell me more about that yeah how you help individual so mindfulness i mean um i'm also a meditation teacher so i'm a certified meditation certified yoga um and mindfulness is really it's really just about paying attention i mean i know people try to have these fancy ways of describing mindfulness this mindfulness that mindfulness eating mindfulness dating my it's like just be present pay attention to how you're feeling what you're thinking your your surroundings be mindful of others be compassionate be kind treat people the way you want to be treated not checking out not numbing out not running away from your problems you know not lying not cheating, not stealing, not sleeping with other people's partners. These are all practices of mindfulness. I mean, it's ethics and morality, you know, fit into a, a lens of how you, how you see the world. Can you con, can we constantly be where your feet are and be present for what's arising in that moment? Can you have your mind and your heart be right here, right now? And it's really hard, especially when you're going through a divorce, because you know, the, the go-to, the default is time travel. You go back into the past, you go back into the past, what they said, what they did, how, how could this be happening? And then you jump to the future. Like what's life going to look like? Where am I going to live? How, how am I going to afford college for my kids? How am I going to get a car? You know, I've never lived alone. What does that look like? So that's all mindfulness, mindful eating, conscious eating, I mean, conscious is the same as mindfulness, in my opinion. And it's a somatic, visceral checking in, right? How am I feeling? How's my digestion? How's my breath? How's my voice? How's my thinking? How are my actions? It's a slowing down, too. Mindfulness is really a slowing down. Because in this day and age, I mean, I could be on this podcast with you and scrolling through social media and doing my nails and drinking a cup of coffee and turning off my video and, you know, and just not paying attention. 
Like this is mindfulness, what we're doing. We're having a mindful discussion about being in the solution of a door. I mean, that's why I really love the word solutions more than a, more than a doula. I'm in the, I want to be in the business of solving problems and, you know, being in solution mode rather than, and that's the difference between coaching, I think, and, and therapy is the coaching is very action oriented. What are you going to do? Like, what are you going to do about it? What kind of goals can you set? Could you share with us uh, an inspiring story or even a remarkable transformation uh, that you've witnessed personally um, while working with one of your clients? Yeah. I mean, one thing that comes to mind is, and I did a blog about this, it's there's something called nonviolent communication. Basically, it's a way of communicating that is owning your own feelings and owning your own part in the situation and, and communicating your request. So the conversation goes, you have an observation and then you have a feeling about it. And then there's a need and then there's a request. So an example might be, um, and it's a lot of I statements. So it's like, I'm noticing that when the kids come back to me on Sunday night, they are exhausted and have explained to me that they were up very late the night before. So that's an observation. And then a feeling would be, I, I feel that um, perhaps more attention needs to be put to bedtime so that they can function better at school and the transition from, from your place to my place could be smoother for everybody. I really need something different in place so that that can happen and it's a success. And then the final thing is a request. Can I request that the kids have a bedtime and that you stick to it? So it sounds very convoluted and, and complicated, but basically it's mindful communication is what NVC is. And, and not saying you kept the kids, like in other words, the difference between that Noticing something, having a feeling about it, needing something to be different, and then making the request and having it be coming from you and very non-emotional and non-attacking, as opposed to you keep the kids up so late so that when you drop them off with me, they're exhausted and I have a difficult time with them because of you. I need you to be better at their bedtime. And can you change that about how you're doing it? two different ways of getting to the same solution. And so that really helped one of my, so that's one example. And then one more quick example is. Think about that day you decided to go with it with your divorce. What would you tell yourself now with what you know? Ah, well, that's a great question. I mean, these are all great questions. I mean, one thing I say a lot is it's okay to forgive yourself for not knowing then what you know now. If I knew then, what I know now, I would have done everything differently. And that I know for sure. You know, a lot of times we act out of ignorance, not knowing. We act out of fear. We act out of revenge or avenge. So that's what I would have done differently. I would have taken the sting out of it and the spite or the anger. Um, I would have looked at it for what it was. And I would have tried to find someone like me to support through the process, you know, to find someone to just help me through um, navigating. I do think that's a really important point 
because it's so easy to say that you made mistakes when you do something. But again, if you didn't know then what you know now, it's not fair to judge the then action now. It's easy to stand here five years later and say, I did the best I could with what I knew mm -hmm. and just feel, you know, in acceptance. I think the best advice I could give is, is deal with your emotions, but deal with them separate from, you know, the process, meaning just know your audience, know your, know your tribe, find your tribe, have people you confide in. Thank you so much, Lilia, for sharing your uh, wisdom today. Um, I think people can reach out to you through your website, divorcedoula.solutions. Mm -hmm. And also, I will do a little bit of promotion on Instagram. So I will also put your Instagram uh, account so people can reach Great. out if they have any other question. Thank you so much. That was so nice to meet you. And it looks like we have a lot more to talk about in uh, next podcast on all Future sorts of podcasts. <laughs> Thank you so much for reaching out.